Do you guys want to hear a funny story about Dale, though? Since Tyler didn't tell one. Um, there was a time we were at camp. I, this is like my classic Dale story. There's a time we were at camp, and we, they, make, they would make this humongous slip and slide. Like, use tarps, and it'd be like five tarps long, and they'd put all kinds of stuff on it, like chocolate syrup and soap, and it was just nuts. But one time, we were coming back from the slip and slide back to the cabins. I'm probably like 14. I'm not actually involved in this story, so it's even better that way. And one, two, two girls in the youth group, two teenagers, always had it out for Dale, always messing with him, and... They like dumped some, some more of the liquid on him from the slip side or something. And so he pushes them both and tackles them into this huge mud pile. And it's like, oh, ha ha, you know, they get mud all over each other. We keep walking back to the cabins and it starts to smell a little bit like not mud. And we realize that this is actually like a spot where a septic tank had overflowed and they were all just, you know. I'll just leave it right there. So you just leave such a great legacy here, Dale. You know, it's just amazing, man. <laughs> no. Hey, once again, if this is your first time or you're, you're, you consider yourself new around here, really glad that you're visiting. My name is Wilson. I'm the outreach pastor here at the church. Uh, you heard Dale referencing my dad, Van. Him and my mom are the founding pastors and the mama and papa of the church. So they're just amazing. But yeah, if you're here today for the first time or second or third time, we're just really glad. And we really believe that you're here for a reason, and that reason is to encounter Jesus. And that he loves you, he's alive, he's passionate about you, he's thinking about you right now in your seat. And um, he just loves you so much. So, like Dale mentioned, I'm leaving actually this evening uh, for Orlando, and then tomorrow morning I catch a flight to Norway so I'm really excited about this trip. Please be praying for me. Pray for my wife and daughter as I'm gone. Um, I think it's going to be really good. So uh, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. But we're in a series called Rise Above. And we've been in this series all summer. We're going through the book of 2 Timothy. And it's actually a letter written from a spiritual father to a spiritual son. And this is actually the last letter that this guy ever wrote, that, that we at least have record of. Really quick aside, the other day, Luke and Van and I were talking about, Luke's another pastor on staff, what would we do if like indisputable evidence arose of finding one of Paul's lost letters? Have you ever thought about that? That'd be, Paul, that, that'd be crazy. But anyways, I'm not even gonna get into that. That probably opens a can of worms. But anyways, this is Paul's last letter. It's a real like endearing kind of um, last words to somebody he loves, a protege. It's like a handing off of the baton. And... We're just trying to pull truths out of this about how do we rise above? How do we on a day-to-day basis rise above our circumstances? Because you know that Jesus is always calling you higher than what you're experiencing. Isn't that cool that no matter how good life gets, because Jesus is alive inside of us, it can always get better? And like I think lots of times we apply that type of thinking to when we're in a bad situation. It's like, okay, I know it's going to get better. Like, Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. He's more than a conqueror, you know, all that. But I think this is a principle we need to apply even more so to the good seasons in life. Like, just think about this. Heaven is better than our reality right now and our earth right now. So we should expect 
every single day to be going forward, to be getting better. Doesn't mean we're not going to hit speed bumps, but man, like even in the good moments, I want to live with an expectancy of how much even how much, I almost said gooder, how much gooder God is, how much even better God is. And I think that's really a huge part of what, ri- what rising above means is being optimistic, is having a core value for hope and increase. And it's so easy to slip out of that. But I'm gonna read um, the passage for this morning and then pray. And then I think I have some good stuff for us and uh, we'll worship. So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So Jesus, we just invite you to break out this morning. Break outside of our boxes. Break outside of my boxes I've put you in that I don't even know about. Um... Will you just come and minister to us? Will you just come and love on us? I just pray that even we would have the physical sensation of a hug from you, of a kiss from you, of, of real true affection from you. And I just bless some of you right now this morning who have come just like kind of crawling through your week, have had a hard week. And I pray that right now, God, the God of all comfort, Jesus, you begin to rest on them right now. Let your presence fall in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Before I even dive into verses one through five, verse six is actually really important context, something to keep in mind as we read them. So I'm gonna read verse six to you really quick. This is still Paul. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come. Now by departure, he's not meaning like I'm about to go to the grocery store or departure, I'm about to go to a new city. He's saying I'm about to depart from this world. He knows that he is, like, this is the end of the road for him. This, I mean, he's at least really, really confident that he's about to be executed. He's about to be killed um, for what he's in prison for, for sharing the gospel and everything. And so it just kind of, if we, if we lose, the whole letter kind of has that slant to it. But it's really important that verses one through five, this is like a final exhortation, some last words to Timothy about how to keep going and what to do. And what's interesting, though, is Paul still reserves room for himself to be wrong and for his life to actually last much longer. Because in the end of the chapter, he tells Timothy to bring him some stuff. He says, bring me my books, bring me this cloak, a couple other things. And so even there, you see, Paul has that mindset that things are getting better. And Paul even said that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So he knows he's in a win-win scenario. And Paul is kind of giving Timothy some last thoughts, some last encouragements. And I think it's really significant in verse 1 that he alludes to Jesus' second coming. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, blah, 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 goes on to this stuff. So man, if I'm being honest, 
when I think about people talking about Jesus' second coming, Jesus appearing, I kind of put them in like the crazy section. <laughs> and I, I, I just don't think about it a lot. And I hear so much, like, I feel like there's so much like apocalyptic doom and gloom kind of fear, like Jesus is coming back. You better get ready. And so whenever I, I, I like scan over that stuff. But this week, I feel like God really convicted me as I was reading this and made me realize, like, no, man, there probably actually is something um, really important that we need to take. And maybe some of you guys can't relate to how I'm thinking. Maybe some of you guys are kind of like ahead of me in that and that you don't have like a trigger when it comes to Jesus's um, second coming. But for me, it's like a little bit of a trigger sometimes. And... Um, I just feel like I would say, no, Wilson, there's something really good here if you're willing to like discover it with me and you're willing to think about this. And that, then this week, I uh, was just kind of jumping around in Matthew and I read the very end of Matthew. And it's going to come up here behind me, but Matthew 28, 20. Here are the literal last words of Jesus, last ones in the Gospels. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To the end of the age. What's he talking about? What's the end of the age? That's until I come back again physically. So Jesus, the very last thing he talked about was, I'm coming back. <laughs> like his very last, very last words in the gospels were, I'm coming back. And I was like, okay, there's something here I need to get. There's something I need to dive into more. And, um, and this is the statement. This is what I wrote down. Paul had a healthy, no anxiety, no performance, no fear, no myth chasing, but he had a healthy awareness that this age we're living in would end. He had a healthy awareness that this age, that, that Jesus was going to come back, everything was going to change, and that it could really happen at any time. And I think, in fact, you know, Paul and the guys who lived in this era, they thought it was going to happen in their lifetime. So now Paul is coming to what he knows to be the end of his life and Jesus hasn't come back. So I think Paul might be feeling a little bit confused, a little bit like, I'm not sure what's going on. But nonetheless, he's driving Timothy to remember, hey, Jesus is coming back. I was just doing a little bit of like kind of research this morning and this week. And just in First and Second Timothy alone, there are nine references to Jesus' second coming. Nine times in these like nine chapters. Paul talks and Paul reminds Timothy that Jesus is coming back. And then more than 42 times in the New Testament, it's talked about that Jesus is coming back a second time and he's going to reappear. And thinking about this, thinking about Jesus coming back reminded a story, brought a story to my mind. So I have three older siblings. I'm the youngest. I have, my sister Emily is eight years older than me. My brother Brent is 10 years older than me. And then my brother Chad is 12 years older than me. So about 15 years ago, more than that, like close to 20 years ago, we uh, were living in Illinois and we were going on vacation to my uh, grandma's house in East Brady, Pennsylvania. So it's a little town just northwest of Pittsburgh. It's where my dad grew up. And somehow my brother Chad and Brent talked my parents into letting them stay at home while my parents and I and my sister went to visit grandma. And so Chad is 17 and Brent is 15 at this time. So that makes me five years old. I have no idea how they talked them into that. 
but they did. And this is, you know, before cell phones and everything. And so even that makes it even crazier. You know, they like literally no monitoring power basically over them. And we uh, get to Pennsylvania, we drive all day, get to East Brady. And first thing when we get there, my grandma comes out and says, Van, someone from your church called, the youth pastor, I think, his name's Hank. He called and you need to call him right now. I think Chad and Brent are in trouble. So my parents are like, oh no, what's going on? They think that maybe they're hurt or something. So right away they call Hank, the youth pastor. And it's actually the opposite. They're not in trouble. They're throwing a total rager party at my parents' house. And like the neighbors called Hank, the youth pastor, and told him about it. And they said that there's like, there's like 50 people at the house. There's tons of cars. It's loud. It's crazy. And apparently Chad, he had just started working at Best Buy. So he had a bunch of older friends and talked them into all buying a bunch of beer and bringing it. And so Chad and Rent, 15 and 17, are throwing this crazy party at my parents' house while we're on vacation. So what do you think my parents did? Got right back in the car and drove home. Left Emily and I there and drove right back home. And in that time period, in, in that, that eight hours, so they've just driven eight hours, probably you know, more with stops or anything, drive right back 16 more hours. And by the time they've gotten there, a, uh, a guy who was an ex-MP, old military police that went to their church, had come to the party and broken it up. But in the process, someone had kicked over his Harley Davidson. And so it's just like escalating more and more and more. You know, by the time my parents get there, the party is kind of like squashed but they were in trouble. <laughs> and my parents literally say, get in the car, and they immediately drive back to Pennsylvania. <laughs> so that's 24 hours of driving. Eight hours to Pennsylvania, find out the party, drive all the way back eight hours, find out, get them in the car, drive all the way back. They get to Pennsylvania, they get to East Brady early in the morning, like six or seven in the morning, and they drive Brent to one side of town, this, this area of Pennsylvania, I mean, all of Pennsylvania is incredibly hilly and just like crazy. And so they drive Brent to one cemetery, like five or 10 miles outside of town, give him a granola bar, a, water, a bottle of water and a Bible and leave him. <laughs> drive like an hour the other direction and do the same thing with Chad and say, good luck. We'll be back to get you tonight. <laughs> now... Here, I want you guys to show you a picture of Chad and Brent, okay, at about this time. <laughs> so there's Brent on the left and Chad on the right. Um, Brent's, the young, Brent's the younger one. He's 10 years older than me, and Chad's 12 years older than me. So they're like 15 and 17 at this point. Flip to the next picture. I'll show you the whole family at this age. Um, it's my grandparents, and there's my dad. There's a little cute guy, me, cutest person in the world. And um, my sister, Emily. My mom, I guess, was taking the picture, but... So here's what I want to say. What do you think Chad and Brent would have done differently if they had known mom and dad were coming back? <laughs> if they had known Van and Lori were on their way home, do you think they would have done anything differently? <laughs> like, you better believe it, right? So pause right there, okay? My point is not that Jesus is coming back to get us. And that the world is in a hot mess and that we're crazy, reckless people and God's going to come back and judge us, blah, blah, blah. There's, there's probably an element of that. You know, there's all kinds of crazy stuff happening in the world. But what this thought kickstarted for me was, man, a good kind of like litmus test for us as believers is, 
if I knew that Jesus was coming back in a month, if you knew that for a fact right now, Jesus is coming back in a month, is there anything that you would change or do differently? And if the answer is yes, then duh, you're a human being. You're not perfect. We're not, we haven't arrived. Like we can always be growing glory to glory to glory more, 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 you know, but I feel like it's a good little like question and test to ask ourselves. And then, Hey, boom, we see where we need to grow right there. It's just a little litmus test. Like, Hey, here's an area of my life that I want transformation, that I want an upgrade, that I want to go and be more like Jesus. And, and what, to get really practical, what I think will happen is you'll think of a behavior or an action that maybe you want to start doing, or maybe you want to start, or that you want to stop doing. And what I want to encourage you is dig deeper because there's actually a mindset and a belief beneath that. So for instance, maybe like something God's really been working in my life lately is making sure I prioritize my family above work and above like ministry. And it's like an awesome lesson to learn. I feel so like there's no lesson I want more than that, you know? Because like there's nothing I want more than just like an amazing family and to be a good husband and dad and friend and son and stuff. But so like what that would mean to me is not just go spend more time with your family. Like that's good, okay? Take that. But the underlying belief there is what is more important to me? What do I value more? Does that make sense? You tracking with me? That there's maybe a, there's a really like a thing you can grab onto, you can see, but there's a belief system beneath it. And that's what we need to change. In Romans 12, 2, it says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. So we're actually transformed by the way we think. Isn't that crazy? That it's like our mind is super important. Like he, God really cares about the way that we think and what we believe. So I just say, hey, put a pin in that. Think about that. What, is the what are some things in my life, some underlying beliefs that I want to tweak? to be more like Jesus. Okay. Verse two, he, Paul says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I love this. I think it's significant that Paul said, preach and not teach. He says, preach the word, not teach the word. And I think the reason is because preaching inherently has something about boldness and passion. And being self, being personally convinced from an experience you've had. You can teach knowledge. You can teach facts. But preaching comes from your heart. So what this, so practically this means is share with people what God has done in your life. That's preaching the word. I mean, preaching the word really very much so is, is sharing truth from the book, from the Bible. But I think it's also sharing in other people what God has done in your life. An amazing testimony in our life is that we had a miscarriage and then one year to the day, our, we had a, a baby girl born. So May 4th, we have a miscarriage, 2016. May 4th, 2017, we have a, a, a baby, a girl. Like, dude, I share that all the time. I seriously, I share that randomly with people in the grocery store and they're like, what? Like, where did this come from? But dude, like that is preaching the word. So like, don't limit this to what do I know about the Bible? What do I communicate with the Bible to people? That's good. There's truth in the Bible that we got to be more bold about sharing. Okay. Like we got to take this out in public. We got to read it in public. We got to love it and value it and not be ashamed. Okay. Like I, I'm not going to be ashamed of this, but all at the same time, sharing what God has done in our life 
sharing his, the testimonies of how he's moved in our life is so powerful. So, I, dude, I just think when I share that, I imagine like within a hundred foot radius of me, demons just fleeing. When I share that, I just imagine like all the spirits, all the crap in the grocery store is going like, ah. And, and I've led people to Jesus just by sharing that story with them. So like, man, I just want to encourage you. Don't, don't say, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a preacher, or, um, and I, I have to say this to myself too, like, I don't know this well enough, whatever. No, like, I'm just going to share with people what God's done in my life and let it speak for itself. In season and out of season. This is really cool because it means there's no excuse. Isn't that good? Like, sometimes we just need that. We just need that, like, direct thing there where it's like no excuse and that it shouldn't be like a place for condemnation or guilt to build up but it should be our north star okay like i'm none of us are perfect none of us will obey jesus every single time forever like and it's so cool because he actually redeems that and we learn when we when we kind of slip up or when we're not quick to whatever but don't remember where i was going with that <laughs> But it's like, it's just telling us, hey, in season and out of season, there's going to be times where you have to make the decision to do what Jesus is telling you to do. You're going to have to say, okay, I don't feel like um, eating at home tonight and, and sticking to my budget. I want to just go get Chipotle, but we have a budget. And hey, did you know that like a budget is actually a really spiritual thing? Do you know that having a budget is like, as spiritual as praying in tongues and that your finances are like a spiritual thing. There's not like a compartmentalization of like, oh, money is over here, then God, no, like, so anyways, that is like, for me, that's a good example of, I'm out of season right now, I don't wanna do this, but man, there's a principle God's put in my heart and in my life to save and to be a good steward of my finances and to not be like rash, we're gonna eat at home tonight. You tracking with me? Like, I'm trying to be so practical. But here's my power evangelism story, because you all know I have a power evangelism story about this. A couple weeks ago, having a bad week, to say bad is like, like not the right way to put it, you know? It's like a crappy week, other words, you know? And um, I'm driving downtown to get a hair, really more just like a, a hard day. And um, to be honest, I was driving downtown to get my hair cut. My, my sister-in-law works at a place called AV Beauty Bar. So yes, I'm man enough to get my hair cut at a beauty bar, okay? And uh, I'm going down there to get my hair cut, and I'm just like, all right, um, I'm going to tell the person that's cutting my hair. It wasn't my sister-in-law. She was on maternity leave. Like, I don't really want to talk. I'm just trying to get in and out of here today, but I didn't do that. I just, I just sat down, and she starts talking to me and chatting with me, and I'm just like, oh, okay, whatever. So I'm talking back to her, and she's giving her short answers. And then we get on the topic of, and okay, sorry, backstory. The night before, I had had a dream about my haircut. I had a dream about being in the, the beauty bar and getting a haircut. And, um, but I didn't really have a ton of clarity on what it meant. I definitely sensed it was from the Lord, but I didn't have a ton of clarity on what it meant. And since I was not having a good day, I was like, I'm definitely not sharing this. Like, I'm just getting in and out of here. Well, in the conversation, um, the girl that's coming here, Tiffany, she begins to talk about how she had visited a uh, like rehabilitation center for women who live on the street and like prostitutes and drug addicts. It's called the Cat House in downtown Cincinnati, if any of you guys have heard of it. But 
She had done a tour that day of it to come and start like cutting hair for free and to kind of like offering her services to, to help support the mission, the ministry. And she says, yeah, and I was in there taking a tour and they just had written in huge letters on the wall, rise above. And I was like, dang it. All right. <laughs> if you remember, that's the title of the series we're in right now, rise above. And I was preaching the next day at church or two days later. So I'm like, okay, I'm out of season right now. Like this is out of season. You know, half the time, if not like 75% of the time, what out of season means is something emotional. For me, that's what out of season is. It's, I feel like bad. (laughs) I'm sad. I'm depressed. I'm angry, whatever. So I'm so out of season. I'm like, okay, Tiffany, I'm just going to, I just want to tell you, I had this dream last night told her about the dream, kind of like felt like God gave me a little bit of insight into what it meant, shared it with her. And she's just really excited and happy and like so encouraged. Like, cool. Like, man, I felt, I felt good that out of the season I pushed through and I, and I shared. And that right there would be enough for this to be an awesome story in my opinion. But then, but two days later, it, um, I'm talking to Jackie, my, my sister-in-law who works with Tiffany. And she tells me that Tiffany went to a worship night the next day and ended up committing to be a part of a church planning team and dedicating herself to be part of a church because of the dream that I shared with her. Or at least like, or at least my dream factored in. It was like part of what encouraged her to do that. So man, look at my, what, what, what God will do with our out of season when we give it to him. When we give God our out of season, he turns it and just like does something we'll never imagine. But we gotta give it to him. He can't do anything with your out of season if you don't give it to him. He can't do anything with your mouth if you don't open it. He can't do anything with your wallet if you're not giving, you know. If you're not being generous to people who need it. So, um, isn't it funny? I always get these lists where Paul is like rebuking and all that. Uh, For time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from the truth and wander off into myths. So here's the deal. Paul, this is interesting. I, I learned this this week as I was preparing. That this little list thing that Paul says here is actually directed at believers. The last one, if you remember a couple weeks ago when I preached and Paul just goes like totally crazy, like not crazy, but you know, like just listing all these things. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, da 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 That is all directed at unbelievers. That's directed at the world. This here is directed at people in the church. So this is a list that we can really tune into and say, hey man, like, is there anywhere that I have actually just accumulated for myself teachings and messages that just affirm me where I'm at, but don't actually push me forward? And I wish I could like think of examples of this and talk about it more, but I just don't have much for you. Besides that, this is actually to us. And then when he says, turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths, what, what the truth he's talking about there is the gospel. So if you don't, we need to have a healthy diet in our spirituality, in our life of returning to the gospel. We need to constantly return. Like Dale was talking about, am I in Jesus right now? Am I in Jesus right now? And really cool thing, you know, Jesus said that he would be with us always to the end of the age. So the answer is always yes. It's just, are you obeying him? And are you sensitive? And are you tuned into the fact that you are always in Jesus? Do you know that? That he died for you to be totally connected with him forever. 
Nothing can separate you from being with Jesus. So we got to return to these truths. I'm in union. I'm forgiven. I'm justified. All the Christianese you can think of, man. Just start throwing the words out. Sanctified, redeemed. Like just think of all the words. You know what they mean? Claim them and then look them up and apply it to your life. So you're, you, it's returning. I'm in union. I'm a new creation. <laughs> I'm forgiven. I'm justified. And just reminding myself, hey, that's who I am. That's who I am. That's the truth. This other stuff is interesting. Learning about angels. Learning about, um, you know, like the, the reason, like what I said earlier about if we found another letter of Paul's. Like, that's interesting. And learning things about random facts about the Old Testament. That's all interesting. But I got to re- be constantly returning to the gospel. I got to be constantly returning to that core message of truth. All right, now verse five. And this is where I'm going to land and uh, have something really cool for you all to participate in today. Verse five. As for you, always be sober-minded. Keep your head. There's something deep that we can get in there. It's like, got to wrestle it to the ground, what that means. Be sober-minded, but wrestle it. Think about that. What does it mean to be sober-minded? As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. I love that he says, do the work of an evangelist, not be an evangelist. Because check it out, we are not all at our core gifting level evangelists. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist, but you, like God gifts us all in different ways, and it's like interwoven into our personality, I think. Like for me, like an evangelist, that's like interwoven into who I am. Other, man, if you don't have that interwoven into who you are, take a sigh of relief. You don't need to be something that you're not, but you still need to do that work. And the reason is because Jesus did that work and he is our true north. He is what we're shooting for. I want to do every single thing Jesus did. Bottom line. That's what I want to be like. He is my model, my Personality profile, ENFP is not my model. My Enneagram is not my true north. Jesus is my true north. Whatever Jesus is like, that's what I want to be like. No matter what it costs, no matter what it's like, no matter how hard it is, the emotional toll it takes on me, whatever, like how I fumble, whatever it is for you, whatever you got to lay down at his feet, you just want to be like Jesus, right? That's all there is. It's just, that's, we want to be like him. And he makes it easy. He is in us. <laughs> He gave us the same spirit that he operated under the Holy Spirit. He puts that inside of us. To take this a step further, David Guzik, a commentator and theologian, here's what he said about this verse. This implies that Timothy was not particularly gifted as an evangelist, but he still had to faithfully do that work as a preacher of God's word. That wasn't his home. That wasn't where he was most comfortable, but Paul exhorted him, do this, do this work. And check it out. Here's where I want to end before I talk about the outreach. We oftentimes think of, I got to be, an, I got to do evangelism. Or I got to do the work of an evangelist to be obedient. And we think that is like the highest, like that right there is like arriving or like, that's like the reward. Yeah. Yeah. We think that like the reward of doing the work of an evangelist is obedience, but no, the reward of doing the work of an evangelist is getting to be part of the most exciting moments that will ever happen in another individual's life. 
after we can get past the mind games and the emotional drama and, and everything we're feeling, which I feel, man, I feel it so much. I feel hesitant to pray for people. I walk past people that I feel like God is highlighting to me and I just keep going all the time, all the time. But when I get past that and I end up going, hey, I just heard this weird, I just had this thought through my head. Can I share it with you? Blah, blah, blah. I feel like Jesus, da, 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 da. And then they weep and accept Jesus on the spot, which has happened, happened so much more than you'd think. That is so cool. <laughs> that feeling, that experience of leading someone to Jesus or praying for someone and then being healed or of sharing an encouraging word with someone that seems simple and mundane, but brings tears to their eyes and brings God's presence all over them. That is so worth it. You have, like, you have no, if you've never experienced that, you have, which is cool, because this church, so many of you, the majority of the people in this room have experienced that. But if you've never experienced it, you are seriously missing out. That's all I can say. You are just missing the stink out, okay? You are missing out, because there is nothing more exciting than that. And I just want to leave you with that kind of like, let that sink into your heart. Let that sink in that, man, when I get to be Jesus' hands and feet and it hits, it lands home, which it doesn't always. It doesn't always. Sometimes people will say no. Sometimes they say that doesn't make any sense. Sometimes, sometimes they say, no, I don't want prayer. But when it does land, when it does stick, and you see the kingdom of God break in in that moment, dude, it's so fun. It's just so, so fun. So today, what we're doing is, everyone look back there where I'm pointing. Does everyone see all those lunch bags? So these lunch bags um, have a couple snacks in them. They're a gift. On the outside, there's a card that says, you are loved. And it's a website my friend created, which you have to really dig on the website to find anything about a church. But right when you go to the website, there's testimonies that people have shared about like what God has done in their life. And there's like follow-up steps for them on how to grow spiritually. And then if you really look for it, you can find a link to like our church and a couple of our churches that are part of this little like network. But... Inside of the gift, I'm just going to open one up. Inside of the gift, or inside of the bag, is like some chips, a bottle of water, a card about our church, just so that people can know. Um, other stuff. There's confetti. There's um, fruit snacks. There's just a simple little kind gesture. And the, and the heart of this is to say, hey, God cares about you. And he loves you like in a super, super practical way. Ed Adams, shout out to Ed. He assembled the bags. He's kind of like my partner in crime with all this. Come on, Ed. And his wife, Terry. His wife, Terry. But here's what I want to um, invite you to do. Grab a bag, give the bag, offer prayer. Grab a bag on your way out give a bag, and then just say, hey, is there anything I could pray for you about? And you could do this, um, to give it to your waiter. If you go out to eat after this, make sure you give them the tip also. Um, you could give it to a coworker. Maybe you see somebody begging on the side of the street, stop and give it to them. Maybe, you're, maybe you just feel compelled in the grocery store and you're gonna go back to your car, get the bag, find the person and give it to them. Whatever it is, I would just encourage you, grab one, um, we set it up so that there's at least 100 available for each service. And uh, grab a bag and give it away. And just say, hey, this is a simple way I want to show you God's love. 
And then say, hey, can I pray for you really quick? Cool? Sweet. I'm going to pray. And we're going to receive the offering after that and, and worship. So Jesus, thank you so much for your word and for how good you are. <clears throat> thank you that you're just so um, present in every moment of our life. And there's no time that we can't turn to you and look to you for help or support. And that you're constantly empowering us. Um, I just speak your empowerment over people right now for this coming week. In Jesus' name, would you empower them for their work week and for their family and for everything they're doing. Bless this offering we're about to receive. We just really want to um, be sacrificial, generous-hearted people. And uh, not just in here on Sundays, but outside of here also in the rest of our week. So you just bless this money and literally multiply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, you can come on down. You see behind me how you give. I'm going to clean this up real quick so I can do it again next service. All right, we're going to worship. Okay, let's all stand. We'll start by standing like this. You may uh, feel free to sit anytime during worship. You can, if that helps you, you can come up front. I invite you right now to come up front if you want to uh, worship up here. If you move around a lot, dance, there's more space in the back. So let's, uh, let's come and give all we got.